So our scripture for this morning comes um, from the book of Genesis, chapter 28, verses 10 to 22, um, as we meet Jacob in the middle of his story. Let us listen to God's word for us this day together. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed that there was a ladder set up on the earth, the top of it reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And the stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give one-tenth to you. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. So if we're going to wake up to God's presence in the world, there are two important things we need to trust. First, that God would choose us that God would bless us with God's presence, that God would meet us right where we are, wherever we are. Which gets us to the other thing we have to trust, that God is alive in the world, that God isn't limited to spaces or times like the one we are sitting in right now. Of course we can encounter God here. That's my prayer and hope every single time we gather in this space. It's why I keep showing up Sunday after Sunday. We can encounter God here, but friends, we are just as likely, maybe even more so, to encounter God out there as well. Let's start with the first thing that we will need to awaken to God's presence that we can trust that God will actually choose to meet us in the midst of our ordinary daily lives. So let's be really clear here when we take a look at Jacob's story. Jacob is a bit of a mess. In her book uh, that inspired this sermon series, Barbara Brown Taylor captures well exactly where Jacob is when we meet him in our text. Here he is, a young man 
running away from home because his whole screwy family had finally imploded. His father was dying. He and his twin brother Esau had both wanted their father's blessing. Jacob's mother had colluded with him to get it, and though his schemes worked, it enraged his brother to the point that Jacob fled for his life. And to be clear, he and his brother were not identical twins. Esau could have squashed him like a bug. So Jacob left with little more than the clothes on his back, and when he walked as far as he could, he looked around for a stone he could use as a pillow. As Jacob lays his head on that stone, he seeks to calm the adrenaline that's been coursing through his body because he has been on the run. After getting himself into a significant mess, and is stopped in the middle of nowhere in a place about which he knew nothing. It is this guy, in this random place, at this messy time in his life, that God comes to in a dream with a ladder sitting on the earth, angels going up and down it, and then suddenly God is standing right beside him and uttering words of hope and promise and blessing. I am the Lord your God. I will give you land, offspring like the dust of the earth. I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go. I will not leave you. Proverbial alarm bells ringing in his ear. Jacob awakes and exclaims, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, the gate of heaven. Jacob gets it, and yet he is still very Jacob here. After turning his stone pillar into an altar, something to mark this sacred encounter, he goes on to start negotiating with God. The promise God has uttered over Jacob is not dependent on Jacob's action. God speaks the Lord's relationship with Jacob and names the blessings that flow freely because Jacob belongs to God. Jacob's response makes it clear Jacob doesn't quite trust those promises fully. Jacob isn't used to the abundance of blessing God offers here. He has just tricked his brother in order to secure his father's, and it seems he can't imagine a world where there is blessing enough for all. He can't imagine a world where a blessing would be handed to him freely and without conditions. So he has all of these conditions as he negotiates with God. If you will be with me, if you will keep me, if you give me bread to eat and clothes to wear, if you bring me back to my father's house in peace, i.e. keep my brother from killing me for the awful thing I just did to him, then, if you do all of those things, then you can be my God. Jacob is negotiating with the God of the universe after his encounter with him. Y'all, if God will show up to this guy at this juncture in his life, friends, know that God will show up to you. Trust that God's presence is plentiful enough God's blessings are abundant enough that God can meet you no matter the mess you've made of things. 
no matter that you're on the run, no matter that you are not yet able to really trust the blessing God offers. In fact, I sometimes think that it is when life feels comfortable, stable, and safe that we are most likely to miss God because we are way less likely to go looking for him. Which is why the season of Lent is such a gift to us. For as we talked about on Wednesday, it helps us get off the beaten path worn by habit and comfort to actively seek an encounter with God in the wide swaths of unpredictable territory that surrounds us. No matter the conditions of our life, the words God speaks to Jacob are ones we are meant to hear for ourselves when we encounter them this day. I am the Lord your God. I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go. I will not leave you. If God will show up to Jacob, God will show up to us, wherever we are. Which leads us to the second important thing we need to trust if we are going to awaken to God's presence. That that presence is not limited to any particular place or any particular time. God can meet us, encounter us, anywhere. It was generations after Jacob's time that his descendant, who was by that time King David, offered to build God his first house. And God balked at the offer. Are you the one to build me a house to live in? God asked. I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent and a tabernacle. God didn't want a house, didn't need a house. The only dwelling God commanded to be made was one that moved with the people and in its impermanence communicated the promise God spoke over Jacob. I am the Lord your God. I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go. I will not leave you. David didn't build God a house, but his son Solomon did. And even though that house was destroyed two times, for generations upon generations, up until the present moment, people keep on building houses for God. Barbara Ann Taylor asked some good questions about why this is our tendency and what happens when we do it. Do we build a house so that we can choose when we go to see God? Do we build God a house in lieu of having God stay at ours? I wonder with her, do we build a house to try to contain the God whose immensity can scare us? If we put up walls, does that make, help us think we can finally draw lines that control the Almighty, that allow us, allow us to understand the whole of the great mystery? Taylor goes on to ponder about our propensity for building houses for God. She asks, plus what happens to the rest of the world when we build four walls, even four gorgeous walls? Cap them with a steepled roof and designate that the house of God. What happens to the riverbanks, the mountaintops, the deserts, and the trees? And might us Kansans add the wide swaths of prairie? 
Finally, she wonders, what happens to the people who never show up in our houses of God? Scripture reminds us that even though we have been trying to harness God's presence inside four walls for thousands of years now, that God does not abide by our designs. As Taylor notes in Scripture, people encounter God under shady oak trees, on riverbanks, at the tops of mountains, and in long stretches of barren wilderness. God shows up in whirlwinds, starry skies, burning bushes, and perfect strangers. When people want to know more about God, the Son of God tells them to pay attention to the lilies of the field and the birds of the air, to women kneading bread and workers lining up for pay. This is wonderful news, she notes. The house of God stretches from one corner of the universe to the other. If we're going to wake up to God's presence, we have to remember that it is not limited to these four walls or this hour or so we spend together in them. We have to remember that God can meet us anywhere at any time. Taylor names this truth. Earth is so thick with divine possibility that it is a wonder we can walk anywhere without cracking our shins on altars. There is plenty we can do to deny that possibility, to distract ourselves from it, to numb ourselves to it, to busy our way by it. I, as well as you, as well as Taylor knows how easy any of those options are, but they are not the only options available to us. As she says, or I can set a little altar in the world or in my heart, I can stop what I am doing long enough to see where I am, who I am there with, and how awesome the place is. I can flag one more gate to heaven, one more patch of ordinary earth with ladder marks on it, where the divine traffic is heavy when I notice it, and even when I do not. I can see it for once instead of walking right past it, maybe even setting a stone or saying a blessing before I move on to wherever I am due next. Jacob's encounter tells us that if God can meet that guy, God can meet us. Jacob's encounter reminds us that that meeting can occur in the middle of nowhere, somewhere, or anywhere. The whole universe is the house of God. Which brings us to some equally important truths. God's presence or God's house are available to all of us, and they are also not under our control. Taylor writes, I am not in charge of this house and never will be. I have no say about who is in and who is out. I do not get to make the rules. Like Job, I was nowhere when God laid the foundations of the earth. I cannot bind the chains of Pleiades, loose the cords of Orion. I do not even know when the mountain goats give birth, much less the ordinances of the heavens. I am a guest here, charged with serving other guests, even those who pre present themselves as my enemies. 
I am allowed to resist them. But as long but as long as I trust in the one God who made us all, I cannot act as if they are no kin to me. There is only one house. Human beings will either learn to live in it together, or we will not survive to hear its sigh of relief when our numbered days are done. With the harm we are capable of on full display, half a world away this week, and also right here at home, right here at home. These words ring so utterly true this day. There is only one house. We will either learn to live in it together, or we will not survive to hear its sigh of relief when our numbered days are done. I have been feeling the immensity of the weight of human pain and suffering in these days we have been living. Our prayer box up here on our altar holds the names of those we carry both half a world away and right here at home. Maya and I were driving around yesterday afternoon and she could feel and see that weight on me and asked me what was wrong. As I tried to put words to the unnameable, I found myself lamenting. I found through my tears just saying, you just want to do something good that makes a difference. You want to leave the world better than you found it. And as I said it, those words held my heart's own questioning about the state of things and the tiny part we might play in light of them. I am the Lord your God. I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go. I will not leave you. I obviously do not have all the answers, dear ones, for I am not in charge of this house. But I do trust that the more attentive we are to the one who is, the more likely we are to find our way, the more likely we are to discover our part to play. I am the Lord your God. I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go. I will not leave you. Amen.